Hip-hop legends De La Soul once told us that three is a magic number, but I reckon England fans think eight is a better one, and there was certainly magic on Monday night as the Lionesses tore big chunks out of Norway in Brighton. England the joint favourites to win Euro 2022, and the country's getting excited. Why not? I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Women's Euros Only Better. England pulverised Norway 8-0 at the Amex. They've won their group already with a game to spare. They'll take on either Denmark or Spain in the quarterfinals. They're in form, so is Abby Davis, who is turning up winners left, right and centre on Monday, including a 5-1 shot, as she correctly predicted. Austria would win 2-0 against Northern Ireland. Abby England took everybody by surprise on Monday night. Not that they won and not that they played well, but eight was a bit over the top, wasn't it? It was absolutely remarkable. You know, just such a dominant display in every single area of the pitch. No, Norway didn't ask the questions that we expected them to ask. And, you know, yes, England will tough, will face sorry, tougher opposition the further they go in this tournament. But I do genuinely believe that they will cope with whatever is thrown at them in the quarterfinals because they just continue to show how fearless they are. And I know I've mentioned Lauren Hemp when making that argument previously because she's just 21, what she did at Man City last season. But there's just an air of confidence and and fearlessness throughout this squad. You know, no, that doesn't mean that they're immune from feeling pressure or, you know, to slip ups, but it allows them to, to play with the freedom we saw on Monday night, especially when they got themselves into a commanding position. And, you know, the balance to this squad is just really, really exciting. And I think there was a lot of of focus on the tentative and nervy start that they made against Austria. I know we said that they dealt with it well and actually managed to cope with the expected nerves in a very mature and professional manner. But the way they controlled that game against Norway, it was just jaw-droppingly good, wasn't it? It was. Uh, Delighted to say presenter and journalist Eleanor Lee is back with us. Eleanor, England's depth, attacking quality, tactical now, all on show on Monday. I always think, how will opposition players look at this? And you look at it and think, Lauren Hemp's played well, but she can play way better. And then you think, if we're an hour into a game and they bring on Ella Toon, Alessia Russo, Chloe Kelly, you're just thinking, oh, great. Thanks for that. So, I mean, nobody's going to want to play England, are they? No, and what an exciting prospect that is. I think this is the the most excited I have felt watching an England team, men's or women's, in such a long time. Like Abby said, this air of confidence, this belief, this togetherness. I had goosebumps watching on Monday. It was just, and it kept coming. And you talk about that depth that we've got. That's perhaps something that we've lacked a little bit in the past. And that hasn't really been able to push us over the line. But like you said, imagine being three, four, five nil down to this England team. And then you rock up with Ella Toon and Chloe Kelly and Alessia yeah. Russo on the side <laughs> are thinking, please, just, just stop now. Blow the whistle. But there's... 
it's it was so good and it was so enjoyable and you saw how much that that meant to the players we spoke about last week how they did have that that nervy start was it the pressure was it the occasion whatever it was they said to hell with it like we need to we need to turn it up a notch and and the belief that they had to to st- stick with the very um with the same kind of setup and, and line up and it's just everything about it was glorious that's how i would describe it <laughs> yeah but it's been fascinating tactically because they could have played a kind of double pivot if you like they could have played two holding players but kira walsh is so good that you just let her do her thing and kind of fight fires everywhere and it allows them to have Georgia Stanway coming forward, she's been brilliant with and without the ball. And so that almost sends a message in itself that England have so much belief in Walsh to do that job in front of two excellent centre-backs that they can give all of those attacking players that platform. And that was one of the key things for me because in the build-up to the game, a number of people were talking about, you know, should Leah Williamson go back into midfield and then Alex Greenwood comes in to partner Millie Bright. But... In terms of getting things right tactically, there was only one side that did that on on Monday night. And I think they just exposed the weak and fragile defence of the Norwegians perfectly and prevented them from creating anything at the other end of the pitch. You know, the work you mentioned it there, the work that Stanway did to break up play and, and regain possession. And the same can be said for, for Frank Kirby as well. You know, yeah. the work that they do. And then Millie Bright could probably smell what Ada Hagerberg had for tea before the game because she just marked her so, so closely throughout the throughout that match. And it's just, you know, it is testament to, I know we come back to it, but what Serena Wiegmann has done in terms of these players are not only enjoying playing their football and making it enjoyable for us to watch. I'm a neutral and I hate watching England's men team play. It's not because I'm Welsh. It's just I do not enjoy it. A lot of the time. Um, I don't think, personally, I don't think that same passion and enthusiasm is there. It just feels, with this England women's team, it feels different. Um, it's it's so refreshing. They're such a likeable group of players. And yes, that is said through gritted Welsh teeth whilst I'm clutching <laughs> a picture of Jess Fishlock. But... It's it's true because they just do so many things right. And I, I'm going to mention it because I don't think it's been talked about enough, but it was never a penalty. And I think... Oh, if, agreed. If that Completely had been, agreed. If that had been awarded to Norway, there would have been uproar from the England yeah. camp. And I'm not a fan of those theatrics from Ellen White, to be honest. But from there, the floodgates opened, of course, and, and England managed the game so well. But that penalty... Georgia Stanway, it is one thing rifling the ball into the back of the net with such confidence and conviction in a warm-up game against Switzerland, but doing it when it's nil-nil against a side that is supposed to cause England all sorts of problems, absolutely outstanding, as was, of course, the rest of her performance. I thought she was the best player on the pitch, personally. If it wasn't for the net, I think they would have punched a hole in the stand, to be honest, (laughs) that penalty. She hit it so well. It's an important point, though, Eleanor, isn't it? Because actually, Norway were awful. England were brilliant. It's 8-0, you know. But at 0-0, Norway had a few decent minutes early on, was starting to feel their way into the game. The penalty is not a penalty. And not only does it give England the lead, it scrambled Torres Tortilla 
completely because she's given away the penalty and she lost her head entirely. She lost the ball for, I think, the third goal. Ellen White was too strong for her and, and muscled her off the ball and scored. She was defensively all over the shop. And I guess that leads us to Martin Sjögren, doesn't it, the Norwegian coach? Because whereas we've rightly heaped praise on Serena Wigman for what she's done with England, Sjögren has already performed poorly at Euros. They, they were really bad at 2017. And he looked paralysed. There were no changes. Personnel didn't change. He didn't try and double up. Poor old Blackstad on that left-hand side was like, can I have some kind of help, please? But, Give me something. <laughs> yeah, it never came. Never came. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think they just completely lost their heads. And that penalty didn't help. And it doesn't help that the fact that it wasn't a penalty. Um, and, and a lot of people have kind of watched it back and, and are perhaps in agreement, but Abby is right. There's been no, nowhere near as much talk about it as if if it was on the other foot and England had conceded yeah. that penalty, it would be everywhere. But where's the VAR? I mean, this is, I mean, I know we always come back to VAR, but that's literally what it's there for. Yeah. So it's it's a shame that, I mean, look, with my England hat on, it is what it is. But if I take it's that off, yeah, we'll <laughs> take it. We'll take what we can get. Um, but as, as a proper journalist hat on, yes, yeah. where is VAR? What's going on? Why isn't that being used? But when you're playing in a competition like this, you can't let moments like that dictate the game and, and change your course of a plan of action. And pe- there'll be people watching this tournament who perhaps haven't watched as much women's football before and they won't be familiar with Norway and they'll be thinking, oh, a Norway absolutely rubbish. No, Norway is who we were expecting to be England's toughest opponent in this group. Um, And it didn't look like it. It didn't look like it at all. They did not look like a team of their stature. Um, And yeah, they completely fell apart. I think that just opened it up for England. And it was like, okay, how many can it be tonight? Um, But yeah, they they, they had glimmers right at the start. But it is moments like that where teams it can dictate the game of play. And, and and if you can't, yes, it's not a penalty. Yes, it's unfair. Get up, get on with it. Yeah. And, and you have to brush yourself off. But unfortunately they didn't. And, and it let them, it, it dictated the rest of the evening. They interviewed uh, the former Liverpool and Norway defender Jon Arnarisa at halftime. He looked as though he was ready to find Martin Sjögren and maybe drag him out of the stadium by the scruff of his neck. So it's probably good uh, that he didn't find him, as it turned out. Now to the section, uh, I'm reading it here, the Abigail Davis is a genius section. I don't know if Abby's put that in there or not. But Abby said, you should back Beth Mead to be top scorer at big odds before the tournament started. Lo and behold, she is absolutely flying, Abby. A hat-trick in this game. She scored in the first game. She's looking good. My God, what has the footballing world done to deserve Beth Mead? Because whatever it is, we need to keep doing it handsome. Because she is just immense. I actually love her. I think I am in love with her. Um... The way it's a bold claim, but there we go. <laughs> I'm full of you. Them. Heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> That's not pushing Joe Allen out of the window, mind. That is. Just I was going to say that was going to be my yeah, next question. Where does this leave Joe Allen in the no, grand scheme of things? Him, Joe Allen and his chickens will always come first. But okay. the way she slalomed through the Norway defence for her second, the control, the finish. I am. I have no shame in saying that I have watched this back. We we must be approaching double figures. We must be. I mean, it is just incredible. And I actually 
I really enjoyed chatting to her ahead of the tournament. Um, I went to St. George's Park and, and got to speak to a few of them just in the build-up to the tournament. And she was talking about when she first got into football and how difficult she found doing anything that was outside of her comfort zone. And it, it really upset her and it would really get to her and really, you know, have a big impact on her life, not just her football. She'd she'd spend a lot of time being very, very upset. And I think we can say that that's a hurdle that she's overcome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just absolutely remarkable. What a player. And I just, you know, whatever happens from here, I'd just like to thank her for not making me look stupid. Well, that's all we can ever ask for in life. It's uh, a to, tough ask. <laughs> I, and to to kind of just manage to kind of compartmentalise that Olympic snub and, and fight back in the way that she has uh, has been hugely impressive. Eleanor, just on the other side of that, Beth Mead's been brilliant. Lauren Hemp's been good. Brilliant cross for, for one of the goals. Superb cross. I feel like there's a couple more gears there, aren't there? I feel like she, we gave, we piled all that pressure on her before we started. But I feel like there's a lot more to come from her. Yeah, definitely. I have to get in though first, completely backing Abby up here. In love with Beth Mead. I'm all aboard the Beth Mead train. We all are Abby then. is Fine, right there next to me, <laughs> driving. But no, I think we've still got way more to see from Lauren Hemp. Way more. And that is just, again something to look forward to because the fact that we know that we've got more to see from her and she's already playing really well and this England side are already already impressing with, with results like that but I do how we've seen her at club level as well this season I, I do think we've got we've got more to see from her and just the team as a whole I I'm not saying that that there was anything wrong with the performance on Monday but I have so much faith and excitement in them that we can see more from them. I'm not saying we're going to see an eight nither again because we're going to come up against really, really tough opposition that are set up really well and we'll watch and learn from Norway's mistakes. But I have full, full confidence now that we can really go on and do something here because it's really the collectiveness. Abby touched on it earlier, the way they play together. And you know what? They look like they are enjoying each other's company and that they... They can almost read each other's minds and they, and they know what's going on. And it's such a joy to watch. And it's just, oh, I'm just obsessed with a lot of them. <laughs> I think that is such a key point because in previous years, in previous tournaments, you know, we've talked about this England women's side not having that ruthless streak. But also it's, for me, it's playing those instinctive passes it's the passes in behind. It's it's the balls forward for players to run onto, whereas previously it's just been ball to feet every single time. And it's always, you know, it's just been predictable. I think it's fair yeah. to say. The talent's always been there, but it's been predictable. The build-up play, it's always ball to feet. But now the players are so in tune that they can play those balls because the player is already making that run, knowing, expecting and trusting in their teammate. And I think that level of trust does come back to Serena Wiegmann and that that squad mentality she's built, that that environment where they all accept and they all know what their job and their role is and, and their purpose within the team. And that level of trust is incredible. I also have to say that Leah Williamson as a captain, I think she was born to be a captain. I remember saying it kind of like, and I, I don't want to 
you know. <laughs> Don't oh, want to beat myself the, up here. That's the Eleanor Lee is a genius section. Of <laughs> I need to get my bit in here. Well. But yeah, yeah. I was I was obsessed with Leah Williamson when she first kind of broke through for Arsenal and watching her. And I remember saying, like, I just feel like she's going to be England captain one day because she has that, she has that about her. And th- this is absolutely no disrespect to Steph Horton at all. Um, but for me, Leah Williamson is a complete all-round captain. She knows when to speak. She knows when not to. And she knows how to dictate her team. But from a much more, I am with you here. I am not the kind of captain that's going to tell you what to do and speak down to you. I know my place, but she brings everyone together and everyone seems to enjoy being around her. And there is that trust. They know what each other's going to do off the pitch and on the pitch. And we have never, I mean, I've never experienced that before in an England team, in men's or women's. So this really feels like a turning point. And yeah, I mean, Leah and Serena, come on. Well done. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> it's all going well. England joint favourites at time of recording uh, with France. We think, we don't know, but we think England will probably play Spain in the quarterfinals. And I think what's fascinating about England's win against Norway is it doesn't just boost England. It will put a seed of doubt in the mind of the Spanish players because they will want to dominate the ball and they will be thinking the whole time, if we lose this ball, we're in big, big trouble. So that's going to be fascinating to see how that affects that dynamic. England played before that on Friday against Northern Ireland. England a barely backable 1.05 to win the game. But you could use the Sportsbook's bet builder to back over three and a half goals in the match and over one and a half first half goals at 1.95. Keep an eye on the team news, I would say, because we don't know how much Serena Wiegmann is going to rotate. But I wonder if somebody like Alessia Russo might get a start. And if she does, and if she scores, if you chuck her in to do that, you can get that price up to 2.8. If you just want to keep it simple, over four and a half goals is 29 to 20. So odds against on the sports book. I'm kind of surprised by that because England smashed Northern Ireland 5-0 in the World Cup qualifiers as recently as April. Abby, how do you see this going? Because I guess the difficult thing is we don't know what England's are going to do selection-wise. Yeah, and you know I've seen a lot of people for and against changing the team. I don't think it matters. I think the cohesion, the togetherness within this squad that we've already discussed, that's not going to change if you rest players for one game. Um, such is the understanding that this group of players has the joint up thinking, the reading of the game, I don't think they need another 90 minutes in their legs to maintain that. Um, I really don't buy into them needing the momentum, to be honest. I, I don't buy into that at all because there'd certainly be no momentum to be gained at all if they start what Serena deems her strongest 11 and then three of them pick up injuries. So I don't buy into that argument at all. Um this setup is so strong that I'd be tempted to say, let's not take risks. Let's make a few changes. I'd certainly not argue with Serena Wiegmann if she opted to stick with the starting eleven because... I wouldn't argue I'd, with her about anything, Honestly, I would, I'd just stroke her hair and tell her <laughs> that she's made the right decision because I am a little bit intimidated by her. So, yeah, I wouldn't argue. But I think Frank Kirby would probably be an obvious one to rest given how she ended her season, of course. Um, I'd actually really like to see Chloe Kelly from the outset. I think her contribution off the bench has been superb, especially in the warm-up games. I really, really would like to see her 
from the outset. But, you know, kind of good luck if you're Northern Ireland coming up against a side that's just done that and you've conceded six goals in your two openers against sides that England have kept clean sheets against. But I think one thing that I would like to touch upon with Northern Ireland is how much of a process this is for them. And that's not taken away. I don't want to sound at all patronising by saying that, you know, they're using this as experience and as a learning curve. It's true, though, isn't it? It is, you know, I know it sounds patronising to say they've done well to get here, but they've done well to get here. It just is true, isn't it? And, you know, Kenny Shields said after the game that it was important for him to develop players and more important to do that than to get the draw against Austria. And, and you know, that's exactly how they viewed this entire tournament, really. It's about creating a legacy and then having a pathway and experience and exposure for that next generation, the next crop of players coming through. And, you know, the average age of Northern Ireland's five substitutes was 204 and, you know, introducing them for the last 10 minutes of that game will be crucial for their development. I think it's important that that Shields acknowledged that he didn't send them on to rescue a point. He didn't, you know, put that pressure on them. It was purely a decision made with the future in mind. And, you know, you look at two of the key players who've helped Northern Ireland get to this point, get to this point where they're in a maiden major tournament, Marissa Callahan and Julie Nelson. Marissa's 36, Julie 37. And whilst it's all well and good, I've seen a few people, you know, discussing Euro 2022 and and people saying, can we just get on with talking about the football and what happens on the pitch? But, But no, we have to look at the bigger picture for some nations because we're not all blessed to have a national football team that qualifies for every major tournament and is expected to be at the latter stages. For some of us, it is about using major tournaments to give players exposure and to help them develop and learn and and also inspire that next generation. And there needs to be a bigger emphasis on it because we don't all have this enormous talent pool that England do. So for football in Northern Ireland, this is a really, really exciting time. And this is very much the start of the journey for them. I think, you know, it's interesting that some of the more senior players have said that they wish Shields had been in charge 10 years ago. That shows the respect they have for him and the respect that will inevitably then filter through. So as long as they believe in what he's doing and trust that this is a process that takes time, they will continue to improve. And I maintain that whilst, you know, you might look at Northern Ireland's results and think this has been a dreadful tournament, it hasn't. It's been a a great tournament in terms of their progression and it's an exciting time for, for football in Northern Ireland. Yeah, Eleanor, that's the point, isn't it? This was never going to be a failure in any way, shape or form for Northern Ireland because the success is already there to get those three tournament games against this quality of opposition is invaluable. You can't replicate that anywhere because, yeah, you can play these teams in World Cup qualifiers and they're big games, of course, but this kind of vibe in the tournament scrutiny that comes with it, it just makes you feel more like a player at a higher level, doesn't it? Of course it does. And and major tournaments like these are pivotal for those nations at the minute that perhaps aren't where the England now is, aren't where the France or, or, or someone like that is. But it's it's giving them that experience, that 
imagine being those players, you've just said like their bench had an average age of 20.4 or something. Imagine being those players getting those minutes at a major tournament with TV rights, being able to watch it from as many countries as, as possibly as you possibly can and, and playing in front of, of these crowds at these big stadiums. That is something that they will then use that will then not only progress their own career, but then that will help them become a leader for the next generation of talent coming through. So you can't look at Northern Ireland's experience in this tournament and say, oh, well, they've not, they've not really done anything. It's, it's irrelevant. It's absolutely irrelevant. It was always going to be a stepping stone. And sometimes you have to use these tournaments as stepping stones because how else do you then learn? You learn from your mistakes. You learn from playing these bigger. Some of them are coming up against, these Northern Irish players are coming up against world-class talent. And that's not to say that there's not world-class talent in the Northern Ireland squad, but how great to be able to play against some of the people that they might have not never had an opportunity to play against. It's a complete learning curve and they have to hold their heads up and, and, and they're, they're playing for... This isn't a game where they have to salvage a point for pride or anything. This is soak it all in, make the most of it. We go again. And, and what can we learn about this to move our country onto the next level? And if you play against Lauren Hemp or Beth Mead and, you know, you're having trouble dealing with them over 90 minutes, the next winger you face might not be so difficult. So it's all about kind of seeing what level you can hit. And also, I think we forget what we're all in this for, which is fun. And how amazing for these Northern Ireland players, for people back home to see them play against these world-class players for England their memories that you'll have forever. I think we maybe forget about that sometimes. Uh, remember, you can check out the Betfair Boost, where you can boost the odds on our already boosted Euro selections each day of the tournament with the tokens in your bet slip. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus cgambleaware.org. As we said, we don't know what the team's going to be. Just a few prices for you in the to score market because these players, whether they start or come, come on, worth bearing in mind. Ellen White, of course, is odds on. Uh, four to seven. Lauren Hemp, five to six Beth Mead five to six I thought she'd be a bit shorter than that given what she did against Norway and Alessia Russo I think because people are expecting her to start is four to six but as I say worth chucking into a bet builder now we have to go back to Norway sorry Norway fans if you thought you got away with it and we'd stop talking about Norway we have to go back to them because Final group game for them on Friday, and it is critical against Austria. They've got to win to stay in the competition. Norway are the favourites at evens to win that game. Abby, they should be favourites to win that game. But one of the things I found really intriguing, kind of reading around the England-Norway game beforehand, was that there's a lot of talk in Norway about you've got Graham Hansen, you've got Hagerberg, you've got Wrighton, and people can't believe that he doesn't play a 4-3-3 and put those all together and that does seem kind of weird doesn't it absolutely I I completely agree I wonder whether this could be the game that we see it I, th I think yeah. it has to be personally I, I really do but it was also quite interesting that he took Hagerberg and Graham Hansen off with 15 minutes to go I think that's a decision that could have been made 30 minutes prior, yeah, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, 15 minutes is neither here nor there. I think they could have done that at half time because I don't think you can tell me that there was any way that they were going to come back in that game. Um, so, yeah, I think their attitude, their application, they're going to be, they're going to need to be significantly improved. Um, you know, I think Eleanor touched upon it earlier that. You know, you look at this Norway side and, and there was 
talk of it on social media from people who maybe haven't seen much of them previously that, you know, oh, Norway aren't a decent team. Come back to me when England are playing a team that's actually going to do something. Well, this Norway side can do things. Yeah. Let me tell you, they, they, they certainly can do things. So well, We've got a couple of the best attacking players in the world for a start. Quite, quite. So, you know, whilst their defence is fragile and I think Austria would have looked at the way they just completely crumbled and thought we will have some of that. Um, you know, there, there's no doubt that Austria gave a far better account of themselves against England. And I know those performances count for diddly squat when it comes to this one. But at 12 to 5, my money is most certainly on Austria in this one. They're well organised, defensively so, so tough to break down. And whilst Norway do boast, as you said, two of the best forwards who should make any defensive line shudder, they couldn't even get on the ball against England. And I think that I just expect Austria to be robust. I could be completely wrong with this one, but I just expect Austria to be robust, but also creative. And I think, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on how well they defend, but they certainly, they showed against Northern Ireland that they can be intelligent, they can apply pressure at the other end of the pitch. And yeah, I just, I really do see Austria clinching that second spot. Now, the beauty of the Betfair exchange is that if you looked at this and thought, well, I think Norway are way too short, you could actually just lay Norway. And what that does is if you get the draw or you get the Austrian win, then you win. Eleanor, I think Abby's absolutely right about that Austria attacking quality. We didn't see loads of it against England for obvious reasons. But you've got Nicole Biller, who's been excellent in the uh, Frauen Bundesliga in Germany. You've got Sadra Thiel, who has great quality. We know that. So they can make things happen. They just didn't against England, but it doesn't mean they can't. No, it doesn't mean they can't at all. And and they did, yes, they didn't actually take anything from that game against England. But one, look how difficult they made it for England defensively um, from an de- Austrian de- defensive point. But then towards the end of that game against England, they were creating chances. And, and it was kind of edge-of-your-seat edge of stuff as an England fan. You thought, oh God, this is really going to be typical a typical English performance here where, where we, we think we've got the job done and then and then it doesn't happen. But that they've got that, they've got that attacking power. And look, when you when you are defeated 8-0, you have to there has to be a turning point mentally where you say, we need to pick ourselves up here. And it's whether Norway can do that, because Abby said earlier, these fixtures come thick and fast. And so they need to put everything behind them and they just need to snap out of it and say, okay, we go again. But Looking towards that England-Norway performance, I actually missed the first part of the England game. Thank you, M25 traffic. Um, <laughs> and so and so, I didn't actually see the Norway lineup, And so I ran in, put the TV on, started watching it. I didn't actually realise Hedeberg was playing. I thought, where is she? I didn't see her. She wasn't doing anything. And they can't, you can't have players of such stature not do anything in games like that. Yes, England was making, making it hard for them, but... She needs to. They need to show up against Austria. They need to make Austria worried and scared and create things. But if not, I'm with Abby on this one. I really see Austria getting something, and they're going to be up for it as well. Having watched that, when you watch your opposition lose eight nil, you think, "Yeah, give me some of that. I'm I'm ready for it." So it'll be an exciting one, I think. 
and a chance to take on Germany in the quarterfinals. So I think the Austrians would uh, rather enjoy that. That's all we have time for on this edition of Women's Euros Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Loads of other good content on the Betfair podcast network. We've got politics only better, cricket only better, racing only better as well. Check us out on social at Betfair or at Betfair Racing, or you can simply go to betfair.com. We've got every single Euro 2022 game previewed on our website, betting.betfair.com, and also lots of coverage of Golf's Open Championship, which is this week from Eleanor, from Abby, and from me. It's goodbye for now.